If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of Judges, the seventh book in our Bible. Why the book of Judges? Well, because I get to pick what we talk about. It's as simple as that. And I love the book of Judges, and I spent a lot of 2018 discussing and studying in my own life the book of Judges. And as I was going through this, I said, we have got to go through this book together as a church. So maybe you know the book of Judges well, maybe you've just kind of skimmed over it, maybe you've never read it. I hope over the next couple of months, as we study this book together, you're going to understand why these Old Testament books are so important. And one of the reasons Judges is so important in the whole scope of the canon is there's one word that we find heavily across all of the Old Testament, and that word is covenant. And God, from the very beginning, wanted to be in partnership with humanity to create human flourishing across the world. But we know from Genesis chapter 3 that man is ultimately unable to keep their end of the bargain. God is faithful, God provides, but yet we always seem to fall short. And so what the Old Testament especially is about is God establishing these covenants in order to keep relationship with humanity. And in the Old Testament specifically, there's four covenants. The very, very first one is between God and Noah. And he tells Noah, I'm going to save you and your family, but I'm going to wipe out the rest of the world. The second covenant is a covenant that he makes with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to choose you and your family as the family through which all of the world and all of the other nations will receive blessing. And then he establishes a covenant with the Israelites. And he tells them, if you will obey the commandments that I have given you, if you will obey the law and do what I have asked you to do, I promise you, I will provide for you. I will give you everything that you need. And then he makes a covenant with King David. And he tells them, through one of your sons, I'm going to bless not only Israel, but all of the nations. But you know what happens in the Old Testament? We're unable to keep up our end of the bargain. And so the prophets, towards the end of the Old Testament, begin talking about another covenant. A new covenant through Jesus Christ. Because you see, Jesus is from the lineage of Abraham. He is the faithful Israelite. He is of the descendants of David. He fulfills that aspect of the covenant that you and I can never keep. And so in the New Testament, it's talking about inviting people to follow after Jesus. Because he can withhold, he can uphold his end of the bargain with God. So if we put our faith in Christ, God's covenant to bring about human flourishing in the world can be achieved. Not on our own, but through a relationship with Jesus. So in this book of Judges, the Israelites are just now beginning to form as a nation. And one of the ways that God blesses the Israelites in the Old Testament is through the conquest of land. And in Judges 1, God tells the Israelites, I want you to completely Wipe out the Canaanites. And in Judges 1, what we see is that tribe after tribe after tribe in Israel ultimately decide that they will partially obey what God has asked them to do. 
And there's the cycle that we see throughout the book of Judges that I want to show you this morning because it's so important because it's the exact same cycle that you and I fall prey to in our lives. And this is what happens in the book of Judges. We see that God is providing for the Israelites. And they fail God. They can't live up to the standard that he has created. And so consequences come upon the Israelites. And then they have to repent of their sin. And once they repent, God delivers the people through these judges. Now these judges are not like a courtroom judge. They're military, political, tribal leaders. And the Spirit of God descends upon these judges at a particular time in the history of the nation of Israel to deliver them from the bondage that they are in. And then they go back to faithfully serving God once again. So we see this cycle of faithfully serving God, disobedience, consequences, repentance, and then God delivering his people. And for you and I, that is the exact same cycle that we deal with every single day. And so ultimately, what the book of Judges shows us, and what we're going to see over the next couple of months, is that the only faithful judge that can uphold everything that is needed for God to be satisfied is Jesus Christ. So if you would, Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bacham, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bacham, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. 
Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned. And as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. What I want to show you this morning is the cycle that we deal with, that the book of Judges deals with every single time we read these different stories. And the number one thing you need to see is that first and foremost, we disobey. From the very, very beginning, God chose Abraham to be the person through which he would bless the entire world. Abraham was not the only person on the planet at this time. So God deliberately, in his divine election, in his divine providence, said, Abraham, it is through you that I'm going to bless all of the nations. And you would think in an ideal world that had Abraham heard God say this, he would have done whatever God asked him to do because he knew that as long as he remained faithful to God, God was going to provide for all of his needs. But we know the story. We know that Abraham and his sons and every human being that has ever been on this earth is incapable of completely obeying what God has asked us to do. They were told to go in and completely eliminate the Canaanites. Why would God give such a harsh command? It's a good question. But the reality is God knew the hearts of his people. And he knew that if they remained associated with these Canaanites, they would become morally corrupt. Their hearts would be drawn away from the one true God of Israel to go and worship these other gods. The Canaanites also participated in child sacrifice. And Israelites knew this is not what we are supposed to do. So God said, the only way that I know that you are going to be faithful is if you completely disassociate yourself with the Canaanites completely. But the Israelites had another idea. They said, you know what? We'll maintain control of the Canaanites because that's what God wants us to do. But we're actually going to enslave them instead. So we'll still have control. We'll be somewhat obedient to what God has asked us to do. But we're not going to completely wipe them out because they can still serve a purpose to us. And this is what we read about in Judges 1. They do not completely obey what God asked them to do. And at face value, this doesn't seem like that bad of a thing. I mean, they saved people's lives by not killing them. But yet God said, this is not what I have asked you to do. Now we know today, God is never going to lead any of us to go and wipe out an entire nation. But in this day and age, this is what God asked the Israelites to do. And they could not do it. So what happens? One of the dangerous things as we read this book, and I want you to know that unfortunately in the book of Judges, the stories don't get better, they get progressively worse. So when we read about the first few Judges in chapter 2 and chapter 3, you're going to say, these are pretty stand-up guys. By the time we get to the end of the book, you're going to lose faith in all of humanity. But there's a reason for it. God is showing you and me that we on our own can never achieve holiness. 
And the book of Judges shows us that even though the Spirit of God descends upon these people, it doesn't mean that they are perfect individuals. And I hope that the book of Judges ends up giving you a message of encouragement to understand that if God can work through these military political leaders who just botch decision after decision, then God can work in your life through his spirit. So the danger of reading this book is thinking that the horrible acts that we're going to read about, we're not capable of doing. But I would caution you to not have that mentality as we study this book. That the human condition is capable of doing many, many evil things. And so as we read these Old Testament narratives and even into the New Testament, and we read these horrible stories of what people can do, we think in our minds, I would never do that. But the reality is, sin at our core is who we are. And at its core, sin is really taking the desires and the abilities and the control that God is supposed to have over our life and thinking that we have ownership of it. And so what we see happen is the Israelites, they take these Canaanites and they enslave them and their life seems to be going just fine. And the danger there is that when you and I disobey, it doesn't always mean that immediate destruction is going to come upon your life. And that's the danger in disobedience. For example, maybe God calls you to a new career or a new job, and you know that he is clearly telling you to do this, but the financial security and the comfort and the control that you have in your current job is too much for you to give up. So you stay in your current position. You disobey God, and yet your life doesn't appear to be unraveling. Disobedience doesn't always mean immediate destructive consequences. It could happen sometime down the line. And so as we read the book of Judges, we need to understand that disobedience to God is not just doing what he tells us not to do. It's also not doing what he tells us to do. There's two different types of sins. And a lot of times we focus on doing the things that God tells us not to do. When disobedience can also mean not obeying what God clearly tells us to do. And this is what we find in Judges. They did not completely eliminate the Canaanites as God told them. And as a result of that, God brings consequences on the Israelites. But here's the thing about consequences. They don't always happen immediately. In fact, Judges 2.10 shows us that the consequences of the Israelites disobeying God actually affected the next generation of people. Verse 10 tells us that the next generation of people, they didn't know God. They didn't know how he had been working in the people's lives. And so the sin of the current generation affected the next generation of people. For all of us in this room, it's a reminder. Adults, whether you have children or not, the sins and the disobedience to God that we do doesn't just begin and end with us. As a parent of three young children, when I read passages like this and others, where God tells us about the sins of the parents affecting their children 
or affecting the next generation. It's a gut check. It's a reminder that the sins that I am currently engaged in don't just affect me, they affect my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. And in this particular passage, we see that the Israelites' disobedience in completely eliminating the Canaanites caused an entire generation of people to not know how God was working in their lives. Parents, grandparents, foster parents, hear me this morning. Your children are watching you. They know what you are prioritizing. They know what is most important to you. And you can show up on Sunday and you can put on a face like God is the most important thing in your life. But if all you talk about in your life or with your children is academic achievement, sports involvement, club activities, scholarships to get into college, they will know that the God that you actually worship is your children's achievement. It's a gut check. To all of us as parents, grandparents, foster parents, as we raise up this next generation, the most important important thing to teach them is not to get a scholarship to a university. It's not to be the best athlete you can possibly be. It's not to have a happy 15-year-old. The goal is a godly 30-year-old. That's what we want. Nobody in this room, I guarantee it, loves sports more than me. I'll check you on it right now. Nobody. But I've come to realize, as much as I love my son and I want him to be involved in sports, I want him to be a godly 30-year-old who teaches his children the word of God and who loves the church of Jesus Christ. And I don't care if that means he has to give up baseball or football or basketball because he's going to play like eight sports. God is the priority. So I want to encourage all of us as we raise our children, our grandchildren, our foster parents. We know the statistics. When kids go off to college, many of them leave the faith. And as young adults, they are not returning. What does this mean? It means their children most likely are not going to return to the church. So what we're seeing in Judges is currently happening today. And I understand that it's not always our fault. You can love the church of Jesus Christ. You can teach the word of your God to your children passionately and faithfully. And some of them will still choose to not believe. But to the best of our ability, in the Holy Spirit, let's prioritize the word of God and the church of Jesus Christ and show our children that we are excited to be a part of what God is doing in his church. And we see that an entire generation of these Israelites forgot what it was like to see God working because their parents and their grandparents were not being obedient to what God had called them to do. But fortunately, we see the Israelites repenting. And that's another step in this cycle. First we disobey, then God brings consequences, and then we repent. And we see in this particular passage that the Israelites weep and they cry out to God and they seem to be genuinely upset because their behavior was not pleasing to a holy God. Now the reality is for you and I in this room, sometimes it's difficult to decide if we're actually being repentant 
or if we're just upset that we got caught. Because sometimes, let's be honest, we're just upset that we got caught. But I want you to know the true litmus test of repentance is not the emotion of the moment because we can all be embarrassed, sad, upset at our failures. The true litmus test of repentance is a change in behavior. And what we see the Israelites doing is Judges tells us here that they faithfully served Joshua the rest of his days and then they faithfully served the elders after them. So they actually repented of their sin and they returned back to God and faithfully served him the remainder of their days. So when we repent, these are the questions that we have to ask. Number one, do we grieve our sin? Do we understand its effects against a holy God? And then number two, do we desire in our hearts to change the behavior? That's what we see the Israelites doing here. They repent, they turn away, and then God delivers them. And he delivers them through these specific judges. God is faithful. Brother and sister, every time we come before him and we confess our sin and we repent, he delivers every single time. That is the greatest quality of the God that we serve. He keeps his word. The promises that he tells us throughout the pages of scripture never fail. He tells us if we will bring our sin to him, he will forgive us. And he forgave the Israelites. And he brings these leaders into their lives that give them conquest over their enemies. The Spirit of God descends upon these judges and God raises up victory after victory for the Israelites. Why? Because they were willing to repent and take their sin seriously. And God promises us that if we do that, he will deliver us from our sin Every single time. So what we're going to see is Dr. Harwood is going to be preaching next week and he's going to continue on in Judges chapter 2 and into chapter 3. What we're going to see is that the Israelites, as these judges come on the scene, they start off really well. But the moral corruption continues to erode and erode at the people of God. And by the time we get to the end of the book, hardly anybody is aware how God has been working in the lives of the Israelites. So what do we do with the book of Judges? What in the world does the book of Judges have to do with Jesus? One of the things that we have to do anytime we study an Old Testament book is interpret it in light of its historical context. So what does the book of Judges mean to God's people in that moment? But then... We should always see how is God speaking in this book to point us to Jesus? What do these judges show us about what it means to follow after Jesus Christ? Here's what they show us. Number one, you cannot achieve spiritual peace in your own flesh. If it were up to the judges alone to provide salvation to the Israelites, this book shows us that it is not possible. 
So we look at these judges, and our tendency is to say, these are some messed up folks, and they are. But what I want you to celebrate as we read this book and see that, yes, these judges failed, but there is one ultimate judge who did not fail. He delivered on his promises, and he brings salvation to every single person who will receive it. That is the God that we serve. Jesus left the riches and the comfort of heaven, seated at the right hand of God, to come and live among a morally corrupt and flawed group of people. And guess what happened to Jesus? He didn't change as a result. He didn't give in to the corruption. He didn't begin worshiping the Greek and Roman gods of his day. He didn't begin to practice the same sexual ethic that the Greek and Romans do. No, he stayed faithful. And so what Judges shows us is, even though Gideon and Samson and Deborah, all of these people fail, Jesus does not fail. He is faithful to his flawed people. That's you and me. So if you leave today thinking, boy, I'm really a messed up, flawed, failed person, you've missed what Judges is really showing us. What Judges is showing us is, put your faith in Jesus and you will no longer be a failure. Will you still sin? Yes. Will you still have flaws? Yes. But what Jesus accomplished on the cross makes you right with God. The covenant between God and man is fixed because Jesus died the perfect death for us on the cross. I had a conversation with a young man just last week. His life's in shambles right now. Tears streaming down his face. And he told me, I know the good that I'm supposed to do, but I cannot bring myself to do it. And I told him, Welcome to the human condition. Every single one of us knows what we're supposed to do, but we cannot do it in our flesh. This is what Paul talks about. Those are the exact words that Paul gives us. I know the good that I'm supposed to do, but I can't bring myself to do it. I'm in constant war with my flesh. And so what I encouraged this young man to do was not to beat him up and discourage him, but to make him see that he cannot live this life on his own. The Spirit of God has to come inside of us and change us from the inside out. And only then can we begin to follow after Christ the way we are supposed to. So this morning, we don't look at these judges and get distraught. We don't look at these judges and leave depressed. No, we look at Jesus and we understand that there is hope in Him alone. I know I sound like a broken record. The Christian identity can never be achieved. It can only be received. Please hear me this morning. Jesus achieved every good work that you needed in order to be right with God with what He did on the cross. You can never do enough good works to be made right with God. Jesus did it for you. So believe in Him. Allow His Spirit to come and reside inside of your heart. And you will be made right with God. So as we study the book of Judges these next couple of months, 
as we see these tragic stories, these flawed individuals, I want you to leave every single week understanding that God is faithful to his people. And he is faithful to love you and care for you because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Let's bow together this morning as we pray. God, as we begin a book like this, first and foremost, we ask that your spirit would guide our hearts and our minds as we study it. God, there's so many stories in this book that that don't make sense, that are confusing, that make us question how you could still be a holy God. I pray that we would submit to the leadership of your Holy Spirit. That you would teach us that this book is about your faithfulness to a flawed people. God, we confess to you that we are flawed. We can never live up to the standard that you have set for us to live. But Jesus did it for us. God, I know there are people in this room today who think that it's their effort that will get them eternal life with you. God, change their hearts. Help them to see that no good work will be enough in your eyes. And help them to turn to Jesus Christ. I pray that your spirit would speak to us now as we respond. Maybe we're burdened with a friend of ours that we know is not a believer. May we commit to pray for them during this time. Maybe we have a friend or a family member who's going through treatment for cancer or another disease. During this time, God, I pray that we would lift them up to you. We ask all things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.